If you're an impact investor and believe in the power of patient capital to change lives, build communities, and create a more inclusive economy, then you've come to the right place. Welcome to the best podcast, short for Black Entrepreneurs Survive and Thrive, where we share the impact of patient capital when combined with the grit, resilience, and determination of Black entrepreneurs. I'm your host, Iron Mike Stedman, founder and CEO of Ironbound Boxing and Ironbound Media, both based in Newark, New Jersey, where I have a passion for all things social impact, economic development, and community empowerment. On this episode of The Best Podcast, I interview David Langlieb, Senior Underwriter at New Jersey Community Capital, a nonprofit community development financial institution dedicated to creating thriving communities through strategic investments and knowledge. David shares insights into NJCC's efforts to get patient capital into the hands of entrepreneurs during the pandemic, the importance of collaboration amongst lenders and capacity building programs, and the challenges the lending community must overcome to get more patient capital into the hands of black entrepreneurs. Before you hear from David and I, make sure you subscribe to the Best Podcast newsletter at the link in the show notes. You can also subscribe to the show on iTunes, Spotify, or whatever listening service you're using today. And we greatly appreciate if you left us a review and shared this podcast with someone in your network who you feel can benefit from hearing these inspiring and uplifting stories of black entrepreneurs. We appreciate you for tuning in with us today and hope you enjoy the following episode. Dave, welcome to the best podcast. What's going on? Pleasure to be here. I'm good. I'm good. I'm fired up. Um, always love this opportunity to talk about patient capital and the work uh, organizations uh, such as NJCC are doing in the community to get capital to the entrepreneurs that need them most. And so I would love to just kind of start out by having you introduce yourself uh, to our audience and the work you're doing at uh, NJCC. Absolutely. And thanks, Mike. It's a pleasure being uh, being on. Um, so my name is Dave Langley. I'm a senior underwriter at New Jersey Community Capital, which means I do credit analysis uh, chiefly for uh, small businesses, although we also work in the affordable housing space, um, and we also do loans to uh, nonprofits, um, some child nonprofit childcare, uh, you know, commercial real estate, all kinds of different stuff. Um, New Jersey Community Capital, just a little bit about our organization. We're what's called a CDFI, uh, which is Community Development Financing Institution, uh, which is a nonprofit lender. We're the largest CDFI in the state of New Jersey, and we cover the entire state from uh, from top to bottom. We, uh, we really exist, and we've been around for 33 years. Um, we exist chiefly to, to meet the needs of borrowers who can't get affordable capital elsewhere. So businesses that may not have been around uh, for 5, 10, 15 years, try to go to their bank, can't get an affordable loan, then you know, might have to res resort to credit cards or you know, online lenders. Some of these just you know, horrible usurious lenders where you're borrowing at 19, 20, 25%, um, and it just you know, strangles your cash flow. Um, so we try to meet the needs of those kinds of, of borrowers and to try to work creatively uh, with borrowers who may have a little bit of a, a checkered past in terms of their credit history, might, may not have a perfect credit score, um, might not have a ton of personal equity to put into a deal. Um, we really try to, to make those loans because those are the kinds of loans that we think build communities um, and encourage entrepreneurship. What's the average size of the loans you guys give out? So it varies significantly within the small business sector. Uh, our loans will typically range from a low of $50,000 to up to $750,000. No, those are, uh, we have a lot of flexibility on both sides of that. So if you're um, 
you know, like a first time borrower who's just trying to get a business off the ground and needs maybe twenty or thirty thousand uh, dollars, we might not be the organization for you. Although we, we might be able to to help you there. Um, there are some other excellent small business uh, micro lenders, which I called around the state of New Jersey. Um, CBAC is one of them, and UCEDC uh, up in North Jersey is a, another excellent lender. So, what are the typical terms on these kind of loans? So um, it, it it varies significantly. I'll uh, cut me off if I'm uh, going into too much detail here, but as a, an underwriter, I'm always detail oriented that kind of way. Um, no, it's great. Okay. So uh, generally, what we're talking about, if we're doing a real estate loan, commercial mortgage, um, we'll do we'll we'll amortize loans those loans over 15, 20, 25 years. Um, that's if you're purchasing a piece of real estate. Maybe you're renting out where you are currently, but you want to buy the property because. Why pay rent when you can, you know, get equity built in your business and, and pay down a mortgage? Um, so that's those are our longest term loans. If we're talking about equipment or working capital, those loans typically uh, will be, you know, fixed for three to seven years, depending on the, the length of the asset, you know, the kind of asset that you're buying. Uh, if that's, you know, a piece of equipment or something, maybe seven, seven, eight years. Um, but if you're just looking for working capital to expand your business, um, maybe you know, pay some payroll, hire somebody new. Do some advertising, up your web presence, stuff like that. Uh, that would be like a three or four year loan. Um, our interest rates vary. We'll typically lend at a couple points higher than uh, what a bank will lend at because we have to, you know, kind of keep the lights on. So that little spread plus some some you know fundraising we do privately uh, is what uh, is what keeps us all uh, employed and allows us to do the work that we can. Um, so you know it varies, of course, but six to eight percent, something like that. Uh, in terms of of interest rate, um, which is you know it's a little bit higher than you might be able to get from a bank if you've been there for a long time. You have a large business, but compared to what the alternatives are um, for a lot of uh, businesses that don't have access to to bank capital, it's it's pretty good. Well, thank you for sharing. And the reason I want to ask is obviously with the everything that's been going on with the global pandemic, right? It's been quite challenging for uh, small business owners, particularly black owned small businesses. And I would love to learn about you know how you guys have managed to stay resilient resilient during this time and the resilience you've seen in the entrepreneurs that you've served. Absolutely. And I should uh, amend what I said slightly before. Um, when we, when the pandemic hit, we started in March, 2020, um, we got a lot of, uh, you know, the, the emergency phone calls, you know, from some of our past bars, like my restaurant just closed down. I don't know what I'm going to do. And we started a program at that point, uh, called the Garden State Relief Fund, where we're lending at below market rates uh, for short periods of time uh, to allow businesses to pay back rent, um, to, to keep people on payroll. Um, there are some other programs like the PPP, which some of your listeners may have heard of, um, Paycheck Protection Program, which was federally financed through the, the SBA. Um, but that wasn't enough for a lot of small businesses. Um, and especially not a lot, not enough for a lot of nonprofits. So on those programs, we'd lend at at three percent interest uh, over a thirty-six month period, with a grace period built in on the front end. Um, so you wouldn't have to make any payments for six months, six months interest only, and then pay back the loan over two years. So those are those are below market rates um, and very attractive. We've we've done about one hundred and fifty of those loans uh, so far. In terms of our own organization. Um, we raised a lot of capital, a lot of grant capital from some some foundations that wanted to help out at the at the start of the pandemic. Um, I got to give a shout out to the Pascal Sykes Foundation, which um, has helped us out a lot, uh, especially in South Jersey. Um, and then, you know, we went remote immediately. I've been basically remote since then, so I've been working out of this kitchen here. <laughs> um, but we've we've adjusted reasonably well. I mean, we still do our credit committees every two weeks, just virtually by uh, you know by Zoom. 
Um, and everybody, you know, like put in the time we needed to, to get this new program off the ground, uh, for, for garden state relief. Uh, and, you know, we knew we're not going to be helpful to people if we can't get money out the door quickly and efficiently. Um, you know, the pandemic, uh, isn't something that, that can be patient. You know, when, when you've got a small business and you need to meet payroll in a couple of weeks, uh, it doesn't do you any good for us to send you a letter saying, you know, we're considering your application and in two months, maybe you'll hear back from us. We try not to operate that any, that, that way anyway, but um, this, it was especially important, uh, you know, during this period of time to make sure we got money out the door, loosened our credit standards a little, you know, made our underwriting as efficient as possible. Um, and um, I'm proud of the results. I mean, you know, we, you can't help absolutely everybody uh, with, with everything they need, but I think we've made a serious impact there. Talk to us about some of the entrepreneurs you've been working with. Um, well, we run the gamut. So our our uh, loan fund, like I said before, covers the entire state. Um, we, our catchment area is is the entire state of New Jersey. Um, a lot of our small business lending has been uh, historically concentrated in the major cities. So Newark, of course. Um, we've done a lot of lending in in Trenton. Um, we've done a bunch of lending in uh, because we have special buckets of money in in parts of South Jersey, Cumberland County. Um, the the one that comes to mind immediately just talking to you which we're very proud of um is newark moonlight cinema which is the drive-in cinema that um some of our uh, past borrowers started at the beginning of the pandemic uh to try to give you know folks in newark something safe and enjoyable to do uh even you know during the height of coronavirus that summer of 2020 um and we're very proud we've been able to support an expansion of that project um, and, uh, we hope that continues, uh, for, you know, on for a long time. Cause that's a, that's a great asset for the people in Newark. I just want to take a pause here and highlight, uh, Newark moonlight cinema. This is a couple that literally, I think originally they started out bootstrapping this idea of creating a space for the community to come together and watch older films. And this is a stressful time during the pandemic, you know, but just the resilience we see in some of these entrepreneurs. And the, the thing that I want to highlight about this is being as someone who's a customer that had a chance to go out and watch the movies, these small businesses are hiring locally, you know? So, and when you talk about the economic devastation that was caused by the pandemic in cities like Newark, in cities like Trenton, to have small businesses innovating and adapting, you know, creating uh, products and services to serve the community and hire from hire locally. That's just such a powerful asset. You know, they had the food truck going out there. They had younger adults out there helping coordinate parking. You know, so I, I I'm with you. If you, I didn't realize you guys were behind that. But kudos to you for making that uh, come to life. We were. I mean, all the credit in the world to Suri and I. I mean, it's just it's it's an incredible thing. Um, we actually we we did some lending to uh, you know to to Suri earlier. Um, for for some housing pro you know developments some affordable housing projects unbelievable guy um the the what we look for i mean when we're doing a loan uh we're not just i mean we look at the gamut of all of the community development impact that we can have that project really i mean it, it checked every conceivable box for us all the kinds of things you want to look for exactly like you're saying um hiring locally um creating tax rateables uh, you know, just jobs in general, and then of course supporting entrepreneurs who are just making it work. I mean, that first summer, uh, we 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 didn't have anything to do. You know, that was that was all that was all them. But once they came back to us, and they were like, you know what, this worked out great. We bootstrapped it for a summer, um, but we want to expand. We want to make this more of a permanent feature and an asset for the community. And we were like, absolutely. You know, anything we can do. 
What's the hardest part about doing this kind of work, particularly when we talk about serving black entrepreneurs? You know, um, obviously, black entrepreneurs have gotten a lot of attention with the uh, uh, racial unrest caused by the death of George Floyd. Um, a lot of promises were given corporate America about helping this. But as someone that's in the streets, in the trenches, working with these founders, you know, what's the biggest challenge? Absolutely. Um, well, I mean, perfectly open and honest with you, it is. it can be very difficult to earn the trust of entrepreneurs. And I don't blame them I, within all communities, really, but particularly within minority communities and immigrant communities as well, um, where the relationship with lenders just going back historically has not always been good. Um, I mean, if your idea of a lender is uh, your bank where you were overdrawn for you know three or four days and they charged you a $40 fee, and that's what comes to your mind where you're thinking, gosh, do I want to go somewhere and borrow money? Um, we really work hard to try to convince borrowers, applicants uh, for our financing that we are not that kind of lender. You said patient capital before. That is us. I mean, we really, we really try to work hand in glove um, with folks who are, who are trying to do something a little bit different um, and finding ways to do it where you know, they, they don't necessarily have the credit history uh, of a larger small business or you know, a medium-sized business. Um, we are, however, you know, we, we need to be responsible about our capital with our investors, the money that we borrow. Uh, and that does mean that occasionally you know, we say no. Um, we look for all the kinds of same things. I mean, the way I like to describe it is, will, will the applications that we get, the things that we're, uh, we request in terms of documentation, that's all going to be very similar to what a bank is going to request. So we want to see personal tax returns. Um, we want to pull credit. We do all those kinds of things. But we do have an extra you know, significant degree of flexibility in terms of what we can actually do, whereas a bank... Uh, we'll say, okay, you're under a 650 credit score, end of conversation. Um, I'm just pulling a number out of the air, but it's, you know, it's something like that. Um, we, if, if a borrower comes to us and, you know, had some, some problems with their credit history and there's some historic delinquencies or even a bankruptcy, instead of just, you know, saying, okay, this doesn't check the box that we need, um, we'll, we'll have a conversation with that borrower. Okay, what was going on in your life in 2016? Um, was there a health emergency? Um, is, is the thing that, that's on your credit report even correctly reported? Because in you know four out of 10 cases, I, I have to tell you, uh, the credit bureaus don't report correctly what was going on. And you know there may have been some nonsense charge from Verizon or something back in 2016 that shows up in your credit report. And people, you know, most people aren't monitoring their credit in that kind of way. And you know it comes up and it might lower your credit score. But you know, we have that conversation. We realize that's erroneous or there's a story there. Um, and that's the kind of thing we can we can get past. Um, I'd also I'd want to mention mention another program specifically, which is uh, which we launched earlier this year, which is called the Equitable Small Business Initiative, or SB. Um, this is specifically targeting uh, minority-owned small businesses throughout the state of New Jersey, um, and this is a partnership with the African American Chamber of Commerce of New Jersey which provides what we call kind of like technical assistance to the borrowers. So helps with business plans, uh, helps upgrade accounting systems, all that kind of stuff, and tries to get borrowers who might not necessarily be ready uh, to take out debt loan ready. And then, you know, we go through our underwriting process and work with them. Have you ever had somebody come to you all for a, a loan that wasn't ready and then uh, went back and cleaned up their, their materials and were able to actually uh, get one? Yes, we've, we've had several cases of that. Um, and that's always very satisfying because, you know, you can work with somebody and, you know, get to a yes, as we say in the industry. Um, oftentimes what that might involve is like somebody has a really good idea, um, maybe not all the capital that they, they necessarily need to make it work. Um, but we say to them, okay, look, you know, 
take six months, uh, you know, refine your business plan a little bit, come up with some equity, you know, live on rice and beans, get your, you know, get your $5,000 of equity together. You can put that into the deal. That's what we'll need. You know, that's where we get to a yes. Um, and that's been, like I said, a, that's an extremely satisfying experience because look, I mean, you know, like I said before, we can't finance everyone, but we don't, we don't try to say no, we really don't. Um, and if we can make a deal work, we, we always do. And the reason I bring that up is as an entrepreneur myself and someone that meets a lot of other entrepreneurs, you know, so many entrepreneurs get caught up in the day to day of running their businesses, you know, delivering a good product, delivering a good service. And then on top of this, right, you start filling out these kind of applications, whether it's for the you know, the PPP loan or the EIDL loan. I keep hearing from other people how overwhelming it can uh, be for everyone. And so, you know, how are you all getting out in the community and educating the community to position them for success? when they do apply for these types of loans? No, 100%. That really is, uh, that's that's really a problem. Um, and we really try to, uh, you know, limit to whatever extent possible first, just the, you know, the paperwork. Um, one way that entrepreneurs can get financed, uh, I'll, I'll, I'll get to your question in one sec, but I do want to say this. The SBA, which is a fine organization in many ways, um, historically is, you know, it's it's a bureaucracy. So by definition, right, there's going to be bureaucracy. It's bureaucratic by nature. Um, one of the alternatives to our financing, you know, you you can sometimes go through a bank, um, which will do what's called an SBA-backed loan. Um, and the SBA will basically, you know, they'll guarantee it 80 90%. So that might make a bank more comfortable to do it. But those loans take, at the very least, 90, 120 days to get processed. So like you said, an entrepreneur who's trying to meet payroll and you know needs funding in their uh, you know their bank account needs money in their bank account yesterday, in the vast majority of cases, will not have 120 days and will then just go back to the credit cards or you know something some other extremely high interest source of capital if they can get capital at all. Um, so what we try to do, we try to be very open and direct um, about what the process is. Um, you know, how long an approval will typically take. Um, we have credit committees where, where most of our loans are approved every two weeks. So with two weeks of runway where I can, you know, me and the, the other underwriters at NJCC can, you know, review the documentation, get any questions answered that need to get answered, circulate credit memos, um, and then get credit committees on board. Um, we can usually get an approval uh, on an application in five or six weeks. Now, that's not overnight. Uh, but I think, you know, what we try to do is relative to the alternatives to keep it as efficient as possible and as, as quick as possible. We also try to give fast no's. So we don't like to, you know, mess around with people. If it looks like it's not going to be doable, um, we'll send them uh, an adverse action letter, which outlines exactly why we can't do it. Or uh, we'll have the kind of conversation you're talking about where we say, OK, we did a, uh, it, we took two days. We did a thorough review of your materials. Um, here's where you're coming up short and here's what we think you can do uh, to, to come back to us. And I think people even, you know, nobody's happy to get a rejection, but if it's that kind of rejection and it's, it's open and honest and straightforward and gives somebody, you know, some direction in terms of how to uh, build on the materials they, they submitted initially, we find that, that folks are at least appreciative uh, of that. I also think it's important, it's important to go back to what you said before about having this ecosystem of lenders, you know, so where if someone's not positioned for you all, they have access to micro lenders, you know, to kind of help to get to them off the ground and get past that launch phase. And with that, you know, I'm, I'm curious to know 
what excites you all most about the NJ Best Fund and uh, what we're doing at the Center of Urban Entrepreneurship and Economic Development? It's fantastic. And we we love to see loan applications coming in from the participants where I'm working on one. I mean, earlier this morning, I was working on one. Um, yeah. So when that kind of technical assistance is provided to a borrower, they come to us ready, right? Like th these are folks who've, who've had people look at their business plans, um, already gotten a lot of the constructive feedback that they need. Um, so that just streamlined the, pro the process even further. We see, you know, the, the quality of materials coming from NJ Best participants is always head and shoulders uh, above what we might see from uh, folks who haven't benefited from that kind of technical assistance, might have a perfectly, you know, viable business, but don't know exactly how to present the materials to a lender uh, because they, you know, they, they just don't have that technical skill. Um, so, yeah, we're, we're able, we, we see like so much of the legwork already having been done. Uh, in terms of getting application materials together that that can be underwritten uh, makes my job a lot easier, gets us to yes uh, faster. Um, and I'd encourage you know anyone who can participate. it's uh, it, it's incredibly valuable. Sounds like lenders need a street team. you know <laughs> if they can't provide it themselves, outsource it, you know so that you know these entrepreneurs are coming to them really packaged, tightly knit and uh, are better positioned to succeed and receive those loans. And let me say, I should have said this before, but it is, it, it's such a challenge in terms of when, when we have the whole state, right? Um, you know, we're, we're a sizable organization. We're about, you know, 65 people, but we can't have boots on the ground in every single community all the time, particularly, you know, during COVID, but even before. Um, so it's, you know, when I worked in Philadelphia, um, we still had our challenges, but we had a, you know, one reasonably compact city um, that we were able to, okay, here's where the, the commercial corridors are that we want to focus on. And we could have a lender go out there, even, you know, cold call, walk door to door, let them know we're in the community. Um, when we're covering a state the size of New Jersey, uh, it's just not possible to do that. So we have to find and take advantage of partnerships at absolutely every opportunity that we can. Um, so Rutgers is a perfect example um, with NJ Best. Uh, whenever there's a local chamber of commerce that we can get involved with, we try to do that. Obviously, the African-American Chamber of Commerce of New Jersey, uh, we, we, we love that partnership there. We've been very successful with that. Um, and yeah, I mean, we're, whenever we can create those kinds of partnerships, it makes it that much easier um, to get the word out and make sure folks know about us. And more importantly, to my earlier point, um, you know, make sure that we're, we're communicating with folks who 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 will trust us and you know we can get past whatever initial apprehension there might be about talking to a lender um, because if you're working with a partner organization with us where you already trust that partner organization uh, it makes it all all the more all, you know all the more easy to, uh, to to develop that kind of relationship with us we also have great you know success with repeat borrowers uh, and we love for our borrowers to uh, tell other businesses in their community other nonprofits in their community that we're available. Um, and even if, you know, a borrower might not necessarily need financing on, on Monday, you know, so the next month uh, they remember that we're around and they, you know, talk about the, the folks who referred us and said they had a good experience with us. And we love to see that. As somebody that is on the other side, right, you're in the lending community, right, you're doing these underwriting loans and everything, right? There's just been so much attention given to the plight of black entrepreneurs, but you more than anyone else probably understands the challenges and the realities of what it takes to get these kind of groups access to capital. I would love for you to talk to our listeners about what you think the lending community is doing right currently 
and what they're doing wrong with regards to getting capital to black entrepreneurs? Um, I'll start with wrong because it's a lot it's a lot easier, unfortunately. Um, the average black family in America um, has almost negligible positive equity on their personal balance sheet. Now, this was the result of you know reprehensible policies on home ownership that go back to the 1930s and 40s, and you know obviously even further back than that. Um, but once you had the you know the GI Bill and the incredibly discriminatory way that that was implemented and the redlining of of you know the the post-war era, it became very very difficult for black families to build personal net worth. When you're doing a small business loan as a, a bank or as a nonprofit lender, one of the first things you're looking at uh, is the personal balance sheet of the guarantors or the owners of the business. Anybody with 20% or more equity in the business is somebody who's generally gonna have to personally guarantee that loan. The net equity that we see um, from, um, from black owned businesses in particular, those owners, um, is, is almost universally lower than you, you'd find on uh, businesses owned um, by folks who, who never face that sort of discrimination. That is simply something you can't you know, look entirely past that, but it has to be put in the proper context. And it has to be understood as you know, not necessarily illustrative of whether or not a business is gonna pay back a loan. Because the business is not, you know, the personal equity of the, the folks who are guaranteeing the loan only comes into to play if a loan defaults and then you know you have to go after the assets of that that family which is not something we like to do um banks of course have their own underwriting standards and their own things that they look for so as with credit score which i was talking about before if you're if you're a, a bank and you're looking at personal equity you may have a minimum personal equity number you know something that you can't get past uh, your regulators or your credit committees or, you know, whoever sets the policies within a given institution. And if you're immediately, you know, cutting things off just based off of that number or based off of a credit score, then you're not seeing, you're missing the potential of what a particular business might be bringing to the table and a reason to do a loan. So when I said before, we try to get to yes, what we don't do is we don't look at that number and say, this number is ipso facto a disqualifier because we want to see more personal equity. Now, we like to see personal equity. We want to see people building their personal balance sheets. But what I think a lot of lenders don't necessarily realize and what we, we pay special attention to is that our financing can be a way to build those balance sheets, right? That over time, um, Black families in particular, you know, through small business ownership um, can, you know, improve their personal financial situations and build their personal balance sheets. And that's, you know, as a, as a mission-based lender that tries to, you know, improve, um, you know, and build communities, that's something that we're, we're very much looking for. Um, in terms of like what we're doing right, I mean, I have to say within the CDFI community, what I just said, like that, a version of that conversation um, has been going on for the past few years. And I think that a lot of CDFIs, uh, I, I include, our, you know, our, ourselves in this one, um, have had to learn that lesson a little bit and have gotten a lot more comfortable um, with, with not looking past things like credit score or personal net equity, but putting them in the proper context and finding ways to make, to make deals happen. Um, and also being you know, increasingly communicative with, with our applicants to make sure that, okay, if the personal net equity number isn't where we want to see it, what would it take to get to that point? Is there some personal debt that needs to be refinanced? Is there, you know, a, a, a high car payment, a student loan payment, you know, something that that can be worked out? Um, and I don't know. That's that's where I'd put that in the context of that discussion. I would also add, though. I mean, I think we we have quite a ways to go as an industry. Um, 
lenders in general, but even even CDFIs uh, in the particular. I think it's important to bring attention to it because, again, you know, I came into entrepreneurship uh, off the hype of, uh, you know, the tech space and we love tech. Right. Don't get me wrong. It's definitely needed. But in terms of where the majority of black entrepreneurs are concentrated, it's going to be small business. And for it to have access to that kind of patient capital to buffer cash flow issues and achieve growth, it's really important. It's just why I want to bring attention to this from the impact investing uh, community. So right now on this show, we have impact investors tuning in, lenders such as yourself tuning in, um, and those that are committed to improving the economic success of black entrepreneurs. What closing remarks would you like to leave our listeners with? Oh, gosh. Well, um, I'd encourage anybody to uh, to visit our website and to contact me. I'll give you my email, uh, D-L-A-N-G-L-I-E-B at N-J-C-L-F.com. Um, it's always, I, I respond to emails immediately. If you have an idea, you have a, a financing need, um, Again, I you know obviously I can't make any guarantees on financing anyone in particular, but um, I'm always happy to talk through uh, a proposal, uh, give us a little, give any any potential borrowers a little more information uh, about what we may be able to uh, to provide, and you know we're always looking to do uh, to do more and to expand to different parts of the state and uh, different industries. Um, I touched on this before, but we do we do a lot of loans to uh, folks in food service. Um, professional services. There's really no no industry that we we don't touch, um, aside from like sin businesses. So like no liquor stores, stuff like that. But uh, in general, we try to be as flexible as possible, and we try to make things um, make things doable. Get to a yes, and uh, I'd encourage anyone to contact me, and I'd be happy to talk through any proposals. Well, Dave, it's been a pleasure hosting you on the best podcast. You're a wealth of knowledge, and we're so honored to be able to partner with you with the work we're doing here at a. Uh, NJ Best. And we look forward to continue and growing uh, that relationship. For all our listeners tuning in, do us a favor and make sure you subscribe to the Black Entrepreneurs Survive and Thrive on Substack, our newsletter for the series at the link in the show notes. You can also subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, or whatever listening service you're using today. And we greatly appreciate it if you left us a review and shared this podcast with someone in your network who can benefit from hearing these inspiring and uplifting stories of black entrepreneurs. To learn more about the Center for Urban Entrepreneurship and Economic Development, please visit www.business.ruckers.edu slash cued, that's C-U-E-E-D. You can click the link in our show notes. And I'll be sure to include uh, the link to New Jersey Community Capital, as well as Dave's email uh, in the show notes as well. Thanks for tuning in, everyone. And until next time, peace, love, and have a great rest of your week.